You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 354. In this episode, I talked to Jenny Shi about how she became sick and still maintained and grew her online business as the breadwinner of her family. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. In today's episode, I speak with Jenny Shee, Jenny was managing multi-million dollar projects with hundreds of team members for 10 years. While her peers were working 60 hours per week, she developed strategies to get the work done in 40 or less hours. Today, she's a business coach who helps her clients earn a full-time income working 30 hours or less per week as online service-based entrepreneurs. Before we dive in, I want to tell you more about my biggest and boldest project to date. Research has shown that most five-year-old girls in the developed world no longer believe that they can make their dreams come true. When I was five, I still believed that I could make my dreams come true. The year before, Women of Iceland has gone to the streets and protested gender inequality. Even though I was barely able to read, I realized what was going on. A five-year-old girl sees and realizes more than you think. By the time I could read, Women's Party had been created in Iceland by the women who felt that the current system wasn't doing anything about the inequality. The Women's Party had women from the left, middle, and right on the political spectrum. It wasn't important what political view you had, it was more important that you were a woman who wanted equality. The Women's Party of Iceland achieved their mission. Participation of women in parliament increased from 6% to 25% in the 15 years that they were active. The Women's Party made me realize that we need role models. It doesn't matter what your political views are, but the fact that we are women and the world is not equal yet means that we need to work together to make it equal, just like the Women's Party in Iceland did in the 1980s and 1990s. Now, it is our turn to do this for female entrepreneurs. That's why I created the Self-Made Summit, so that we can change the world. Do you have your ticket yet? Super Early Bird sold out in 48 hours and now Early Bird tickets are available. There are very limited number of VIP tickets left. Go to the show notes at signal.com forward slash 354 where you can find out more about the Self-Made Summit, secure your Early Bird ticket plus all the links to Jenny Shee. I am so excited to be here with Jenny Shee and talk about her journey from becoming sick and still maintaining and growing her business as the breadwinner in her family. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. So, our connection goes far back, maybe as far as 2013. I became Facebook friends with lots of people when I started to dip into online business, but you were already 
active there. You had already started your business before 2013. Yeah, I started my first online business in 2009 and uh, that taught me a lot, but really JennySchi.com started in 2011 is when I hit the ground running and making things happen. <laughs> and recently, Selena Sue connected us and I thought, well, I know her. Let's come on the show. And then I read your fascinating story that I actually remember seeing much more of you many years ago. And then it was almost like you disappeared and you explained it on your website. And this is what we're going to talk about here on the show today, like why you almost disappeared and how you've come back. But I am curious, 2009, online business, you know, I think it's easy today, but 10 years ago, it was not so easy to have an online business. You know, people didn't even know what it was and the tech tools that was quite complicated. So how did you get started? Like, did someone inspire you? How did you know to do that? And I know you came from corporate. So what led you to quit your job and start this weird thing called online business? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually think it was easier to have an online business back in 2009 than now it is in 2019 and going into 20. And the reason for that is because there were so fewer options. <laughs> like right now, <laughs> there's so many choices that people are often overwhelmed by their options. There weren't that many choices back then. It was a whole lot easier. <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah, so it came from corporate. I was an engineer and then engineering manager at a high-tech Fortune 500 company. And I remember in 2007, I had been, well, in 2005, I got promoted to management. And in 2007, I had sort of like finally settled into my role as a manager and I was doing well and I found my footing and people really respected me and I liked leading teams and it was great. And I had the thought, if I have to do this until I'm 65 and retire, when I hit 65 and retire, I will be so disappointed in myself that this is all that I have done. And I will really regret that I haven't done something more impactful. Now, this isn't to say like there are people who are made to work in corporate environments, but it just, just wasn't for me. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I've never known what I wanted to do. I just sort of always followed the rules. That was kind of the person I was. And so there was this whole self-awareness of what would light me up and get me excited and what would I feel fired up to do. I didn't have any of it. So I really needed to begin a lot of soul searching to figure out what do I want? What would feel amazing? And how would I feel like I was making a difference? So I did all that. And uh, I ended up deciding that I wanted to quit my corporate job and start a career coaching business, helping women like me who'd done all the right things, got this successful corporate career and thought, I can't keep doing this. This is going to kill my soul. So I started, I quit my job cold turkey. I didn't have a website. I didn't have clients. I was a breadwinner in our household and I just went for it. I thought it was going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> so, so I quit. Uh, I had some savings and we were going to live off savings for a little while. And I was going to start this business serving these women. And I, I was getting clients and I was doing the work. But it just like something didn't feel quite right. And about a year later, I started to say something, something's kind of off. I don't know what it is. But I took some clients, uh, virtual assistant clients. I found and was connected with more experienced business owners who needed a good VA. And I'm organized and on top of things and I can learn technology and all that stuff. So I worked as a virtual assistant to bring in extra money. And I started to like that more than coaching my clients. And I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. What's going on here? And I hired a coach again to help me figure out, okay, what, what in here am I liking so much more than coaching? And it was much more that hands-on, practical, action-taking focus. So I closed my career coaching business and I regrouped and we had like almost no money left in the bank, but I knew I had to do it. 
And I started JennyShe.com on March 1st of 2011 as virtual assistant, project management, and coaching to make your ideas happen. And I just hit the ground running. With my career coaching business, I didn't want to talk about what I was doing. I like wasn't excited to share it. I did, but I wasn't excited the way I was with my new business. And that's when I knew I was, I was really on track. Like, oh, I'm excited. I want to talk to people about this. I want to do it. And, and obviously, my business has evolved a lot since that point in 2011. But it really just started with getting curious. And it continues to be that way. Like, what is the next thing that feels exciting? What is the next thing that lights me up? Where do I feel a little bit of fire and passion? and follow that thread. And that that's just where I let my business lead me. So that's how it all began. Yeah. And I read that you are an INTJ. So <laughs> INTJ is a very rare combination of the Myers-Briggs, if people haven't checked their numbers uh, or well, their letters. INTDA is a, is a very rare one. And you're kind of destined for doing what you actually ended up doing with those letters. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah, this combination of like intuitively led, but intellectually understood, structured business building, which it's funny because a lot of entrepreneurs, as you know, are like NFPs and they're not all, but you know, there's a lot of like, I want to feel into how it feels, but I want to show up and, and kind of be in the moment. It's like, yeah. So they, they kind of come saying, okay, Jenny, give me your structure. <laughs> Give me that structure that my creative self needs. It's a fun combination. <laughs> I'm definitely a P and definitely E. I mix up the other letters uh, depending on how I fill out the questionnaire. Yeah, okay. So at 2011, you restarted and you kind of found your groove. And obviously, it's not the same business today. But what happened? Like you were building your business. You quickly went to multiple six figures within three years. You were, you were very visible. I remember that. And then you kind of disappeared and I'm like, oh, she's still there. What happened? Yeah. So in 2010, it was actually before I started JennyShe.com, but a year after I quit my job, I, I started to feel off. Couldn't really explain it. I couldn't necessarily tell you I could pinpoint specific symptoms, but it wasn't anything glaring. So I went to a doctor and I just said, I'm just not feeling right. And she wrote me off. It was like typical, horrible doctor experience. It's in your head. You're getting older. You shouldn't expect yourself to feel that way. I felt really shamed. And looking back, I can't believe that I accepted that from her. Um, but I've changed a lot in the last 10 years for sure. And I then was like, well, I guess it's all in my head. So I shoved it down and just continued on with my life. And about two years later, so my husband and I ran a marathon and we were doing all the things, but you know, I would come back from a training run and have to sleep for two hours, which the training run plan we were following was a really like gradual, gentle one from Jeff Galloway, which is like, you should be able to continue on your day. So I kind of knew that it was a little bit too much, but that I was too tired and things weren't right. But I still had that voice in my head. By the end of 2012, all of those symptoms were just kind of worse. I was more tired. I hurt all over. Like I wasn't digesting my food properly. My brain was kind of foggy. And at some pretty persistent insistence from a couple good friends, they're like, go find another doctor. You are not crazy. These things are not normal. And I went to a different doctor. And the first thing she said to me was, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I completely believe that there is something wrong. This is not in your head. We will figure it out. And there was a lot of relief in that, but it took about nine, six or nine months, maybe nine months for us to figure out what was wrong. 
And at this point, it was 2013, the middle of 2013, and she diagnosed me with chronic Lyme disease, which is like a Lyme, I had gotten Lyme disease at some point, who knows when, it went unnoticed and untreated. And Lyme disease, I, I kind of won't get into it, but it's a really tricky bug to get rid of. It has this cycle of like hiding in your system when you try to treat it. And it's kind of crazy. And it makes everything horrible. Like <laughs> It affects you neurologically and physically and it affects your digestive system. Like it affects everything. And the, the kind of the worst part about it is treating it makes things even worse. So you feel way worse before you feel way better. So I began treatment for Lyme disease it was July of 2013, and I did a one type of treatment for about four months. And at the end of that four months, I mean, I was just ravaged. I was tired all the time. I was I couldn't think straight. I couldn't I had no energy. I was sleeping a lot. I just it was not. I was depressed. It was just not feeling in a good place. And so I had to stop that treatment because I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. And I found a I found a different doctor. So I did a lot of doctor hopping because. I would kind of tap out each doctor with their their skill and knowledge of what to do. So I, that doctor was great. She got me started. Then I went to a different doctor who had a slightly different protocol that I then followed for another four or five months. And about four or five months after that, when I started this other protocol, I finally, all my Lyme-specific symptoms were gone. So this is a little bit too much information, but basically when you're diagnosed with Lyme disease, it's so vague. So they have the blood test, but then besides that, they sort of rate what all your symptoms are. And I had really specific ones. My muscles hurt all over my entire body. I had constant ringing in my ears. So there were these like very neurological symptoms. And so at this point they were gone, like all of my Lyme specific symptoms were gone. And the doctor was pretty sure we had eradicated it from my system, but the process of doing that pretty much ravaged me. So I was no longer a very strongly functioning human being. And I then needed to begin this journey of repairing my whole system. In retrospect, I might take this process differently again, but this is just the way that I did it. And so then at that point, it became all about recovery. So I was now sicker than I'd ever been, even though the line was gone and I need to then heal myself and get everything, all the systems working. So that took and again another, it took about another year before I then sort of outed myself of having been so sick and another year or two since then to sort of recover. So in this four year period, I still had to earn money. I still had to pay our household bills. I still had to pay the mortgage and buy dog food and all that kind of stuff and food for us <laughs> and pay for all these doctors. So I had to still run my business, but I had to do it differently. So you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are, how much can I grow this next year? And it was, for me, the question was, how can I just sustain a livable income for myself and doing it at a schedule that is manageable? So how can I make this business generate the income I need around the hours and the mental capabilities that I have? Because I, I definitely had decreased mental capacity during all that time. And that really became my challenge. And I had to become more focused. I had to become more deliberate. I had to become more intentional. And as you noticed, one of the things I let go of was building this large social online presence. I stopped building my email list with guest posting. I stopped, there wasn't a lot of podcasts back then, but I didn't do those kinds of things because I just wanted to maintain where I was at. I wasn't looking to grow. And now on the other side of all that with things getting better, I'm putting myself out there, but it's funny because people will come to my Instagram and be like, wait, wait, this woman's been in business for 10 years. She runs nearly a million dollar business and she has 2000 followers. It's like, I've had other priorities. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know it's not about followers. Yeah. But, <laughs> we do. Yes. But it does happen. Like when someone kind of disappears, whatever the reasons are, people start to make up some stories. Did that happen for you? 
I had no idea. I didn't have enough energy to care what anybody else thought. <laughs> I have no idea. What well, that's good. I have no idea. <laughs> Did you worry about that at all? What people thought? No, I didn't. You know, because I was so clear on my own self and my own priorities. I needed to get better. That was non-negotiable. There's a lot of scary stories about Lyme disease out there. There's a lot of scary stories. And one of those scary stories is you have to live with it and its symptoms for the rest of your life. And I found some people who said that is not true. And I said, those are the stories that I'm going to believe. I am going to believe. I choose to believe that I will heal from this. I will fully recover. It will not impact me for the rest of my life. I will make that happen. And that was my sole focus. And I don't care what anybody else thought. I didn't, it did not matter to me because if I was, there was no way I was willing to live the next 70 years of my life feeling the way I felt. It was, that was not an option I was willing to entertain. And so because I was so focused on healing and getting better and doing all that, all those other things did not matter. I didn't even have a spare brain cell to, to offer the, 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 that line of thinking. So you made some clear priorities. Obviously, healing from this was number one. And second, maintaining your business. But how did that work? Like being the breadwinner and sick at the same time, that's a lot of pressure. What? How did you deal with that? Yeah, I think for the most part, I just focused like, okay, First one is not where like a real clear mental focus, meaning not entertain any worry or fear-based thinking about what other people might think or what's possible, or this is too much pressure, or I can't do it. Uh, really kind of a, a Byron Katie approach of this is my reality. I can fight it or I can work with it. And this is, this is just the situation. It is my current responsibility to bring in income and I am sick and I want to get better. Everything else is not important. Me entertaining fear-based thoughts is not important. My friends had to, like, I lost a lot of friends during that time, people who didn't understand what was happening. And I was like, well, okay, that just has to be the way it is. And so really focusing that these are my top two priorities. That's why I tell my clients or folks who are like, how do you create success without sacrifice? Or how do you create the success you want on your terms? You have to have top two priorities, not three, not 10, not four. Like, what are the two most important things to you that you aren't willing to negotiate? I couldn't negotiate my income and I couldn't negotiate getting better. Like I wasn't willing, everything else had to become negotiable. And so that's the first thing is getting so clear on those priorities and then ignoring any extra mental drama that wants to creep in because it's just a time and energy suck. <laughs> and I didn't have any extra to do that. And then from there, it's like, okay, okay. What are the, what are the minimum things I need to do to help hit these goals? How much money do I need to bring in really? What does that look like? And what is the easiest way that I can do it given my current situation? And what do I have to start saying no to? And then, you know, how many doctor's appointments can I get myself to? <laughs> and that, that was it. it. I became so narrowly focused, but I had to. And I think sometimes people think, you know, that we're in this culture of you can have it all. Y yeah, kind of, but not really. You know, if you want, if you want it high quality, if you want to really hit those goals, you have to narrow down and that those narrowing down to those two specific targets and pushing everything else to the side is what made it work. What, what made both of those successful, keeping the income and healing. So you decided what was the income goal. So you're not trying to grow, just maintain, uh, and you didn't do social media. You didn't go on people's podcasts or do guest posting, didn't grow your email list. And then people might be, well, how did you then 
just sell to the same people again and again? Or, or what? how did that work like financially? Yeah, well, this is part of the reason why I am such a huge fan of teaching people to sell one-on-one services. Because that's not what my business model is now, but that I've made shifts for a variety of different reasons. But what happened was I had been serving one-on-one clients and I had built a reputation and a name as somebody who creates great results for her clients and is great to work with and really cares about the people that she does. And I've been doing that for long enough that I was charging pretty high prices to work with me. And I also had a six month waiting list that was never like that just wasn't going away. And so all of that came from word of mouth referrals or those things, those guest posts I had done before, the places I'd been featured before would just slowly bring new people to me. And I had an arsenal of old posts and old YouTube videos and old whatever, just I had content and people would continue to find me, but I didn't need to launch a course to a thousand people. I just needed to sell 10 to 15 clients a year, which when you've been doing it for a while and you have that reputation, it almost happens on automatic pilot. You can't launch a thousand person course on automatic pilot. It takes a tremendous amount of effort, but you can sell 15 clients after you've been doing it for years, pretty much on automatic pilot. And that was really my goal. So it was continue to love on the people. That's what I call emailing your list, loving on them, continue to love on them regularly. I schedule social media. So it doesn't look like I fell off the face of the earth. And that's it. And that was what really just kept the momentum going. Clients would come and I would serve them. And I got my schedule down to the point where I gave my best brain power to those clients who showed up (laughs) and then I would go take a nap. (laughs) And so I was able to, to serve them, get the income I needed and also give myself the space to heal. Mm. You definitely benefited from, you know, search engine optimization, you know, people still finding you, even if you were not doing brand new content. And obviously not needing so many clients, as we know, that's going to be a lot easier. So you just emailed people, emailed your list and said, I have two spots open. I never had to do that. I always had people, I mean, every week when I would email my list, I would always have a section in there about how to work with me. And then people would schedule consults and, and that was it. That was all I needed to do. I never needed to email because I always had such a long waiting list and that worked out really well. And I I did create some, it's kind of fun. It's, fun. I'll say it's not really fun, but to make a game out of working with constraints. So I had extremely constrained time and energy, but I didn't want to just recycle all of my old content. And I did know that emailing my list regularly was a huge part of maintaining that clients coming on in. And so what I decided to do was say, okay, how can I continue to give my list new content without taxing my own energy? And I came up with this idea called I forget the name of it now. It was basically like 60 second YouTube videos, 60 second videos on a business tip. And I would record like four to six of them at a time because they were only a minute. I mean, they took, obviously they, you know, what is ends up in being a one minute video takes about at least an hour, if not many, many hours to create. So it wasn't like it just that time, but I would kind of sketch out what I wanted to do. I would record a one minute video. I would write a little teaser and I would do this. So three weeks out of the month were my new 60 second videos. And then the fourth week was a recycled old blog post. And so this was my way of kind of finding an easier way to give top notch content to my people and keep things fresh. People still talk about those 60 second videos. I mean, I remember making them five years ago, more than five years ago, almost six years ago, I started making those videos and people still talk about, yeah, I remember when you did the 60 second video about blah, blah, blah. And so sometimes when we have these constraints, 
out of that, like, what is, I forget that phrase, like, um, I'm so bad with remembering phrases, but basically when you're put in a tough situation and you embrace it, creative, awesome things can happen. <laughs> and that's kind of what did. So we can use these opportunities. Again, this, this is about the mental drama. We can use these opportunities to talk about, oh, this is so hard and this is unfair, blah, blah, blah. Or we can say like, okay, what, what idea wants to be birthed from this constrained situation? What can I create that I might not have thought about creating before if I hadn't been so limited in my time or energy? So continuing to give great content to people, just to remind them why they would like to work with me in the process of doing that. And uh, it just kept the list full, pretty much. That is uh, beautiful. And it reminds you to be, uh, you know, present and creating content when, when everything is going well, because you never know if you might need it. Yeah, you have to keep, you can't stop creating content. You don't have to create it. You don't have to create tons every day, but there does need to be some level of you still continuing. And that content when created well can be leveraged. People still reference our blog posts from like 2012, maybe not some of my 2011 blog posts, but we still get references to old, old, old posts. You know, I don't know. We have like 500 blog posts up, maybe 300. I have no idea. And countless YouTube and Facebook videos. And they just become this wealth of information that people use and can leverage and still use and leverage today. And uh, yeah, keep creating. <laughs> so you were not sharing publicly what was going on. You were kind of like, maybe not hiding it, but you know, you were not kind of coming out until it was all not maybe over, but you said it took you four years to actually kind of go public with it. What, what was going on there? Didn't you, you felt like you weren't ready to share or what was going on in your mind of, of not sharing what was going on? I think honestly, it didn't occur to me to share. Like, I think it, it didn't occur to me that this was anything that anybody really needed to know about. And then when I started to get better and I looked back, I was like, oh, wow, people need to know this. And I was really terrified to talk about it at that time. I was really afraid to tell them. I was afraid of what people would think or, oh, that's why, like, you know, people jump to all sorts of strange conclusions. I, I was thinking that they, they would think something. But really, I think a big part of it is for me, I don't mind sharing the struggle, but I believe I can be a more powerful teacher on the other side of really big struggle. So I'm a really private person and this whole idea of sharing your life on Instagram and social media is very odd to me. I'm an extreme introvert. I'm not, it's like, I don't know, in my astrology chart that I don't like to share. It's kind of strange, but it feels very awkward to me. So I think part of it is just my nature. I'm just really private. But then also I'm not one to air dirty laundry and dirty laundry is like in the midst of something when you aren't sure what's going on and it's messy and it's ugly and you don't have anything clear to transmit for myself. I like that clear transmission. So on the other side, it was, I'm not all the way better yet, but this is like what has happened and what's been going on with me for the last couple of years. And I think you might want to know because you're probably struggling in some area of your life. Maybe you don't have chronic Lyme disease, but Maybe you have like a gaggle of kids and your, your spouse is gone all the time, or maybe you're caring for an ill family member, or maybe whatever, like things are crazy in your life. I want you to know that you can still do this with these seemingly impossible constraints. And here's what I have done, as opposed to like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's messy. It's ugly. It's in the middle. And that's fine. I think that's right for some people's personalities, um, but it's not right for mine. And I, I shared just a couple weeks ago, my husband and I are expecting a baby in April. 
And this isn't something that just happened overnight. You know, like we didn't, we had been trying for quite some time and like nobody knew, like our, my family didn't even know, like this was like something that was very private between us. And I was almost hesitant to share it because I'm like, it's been so long to get here. Like what if something crazy still happens? But it, then it was like, no, no, we had, we had gotten far enough along. I had far enough along that I felt okay. And I could relate this story to like this persistence we've had to have can be very relatable to business. But I, I'd feel sort of, I felt more whole about telling the story as opposed to in the middle, just kind of sharing my mess. But this is just my choice. This is how I tend to operate and how I like to do it. So when 2016 came around and I had been sick, but I was on, I was on the recovering end. Like I definitely wasn't all the way better, but I was on a trajectory of getting better. And that was the time I was like, okay, I think it's time for people to know that this idea of business only comes out of these perfect, organized, you know, beautiful lives is just baloney. So let's, <laughs> let's tell them the reality of what's going on. And that gives a lot of people hope. That's my thought process anyway. I think you're very right. I don't think you should share or air your dirty laundry. The question is still when you're sick for a longer time, like how long do you wait or when is the right point? And I guess you just, you know when it's right. But how did you feel publishing it? You used to be a little bit scared to share it. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I can only remember intellectually that I was like, oh my God, am I really going to do this? What are people going to think? And so I remember being scared. I don't relate to that kind of fear anymore. Um, I guess just, you know, time. That was nearly, it was the beginning of 2016, I think. I can't remember exactly when. I think the beginning of 2016. And so that's almost four years ago. And that that's just a muscle that I practiced. Like, where am I struggling with something that I'm coming out the other side of that me sharing this story with other people will support them. And so it's just something that I'm thinking about more and more when it comes to sharing about business with those who kind of read what I have to say and, and follow me online. And so it's just, a, I think this is something we all need to find for ourselves. What level of vulnerability do we want to share? What supports us? What is true for us? Because what's true for each person is going to be different in terms of how they share that message and then just practicing it <laughs> along the way. Well, I suggest people go and read your article. Uh, it was very insightful, very helpful. Like I was sick for seven months and that's one of the reasons I started my business in the first place. So even if it was totally different reasons, I had the same struggles with doctors and all of that. And yes, I do think we women have an issue. We're not always believed in the beginning. So I resonated very much with that. So I want to thank you for sharing, even though that's almost like four years ago. But what happened then afterwards? Like you started to get better and now your business has changed. You're obviously not doing 10 to 15 one-on-one clients anymore. So how does your business look today? Yeah, so I don't work with any private clients. It's possible that if the right high-end client were to come along, I would take them as a private client. We're talking people making at least multiple six figures in their business, wanting to grow a team and that kind of thing. But for the most part, my audience is women just getting started or really kind of trying to ramp up their online business. I've been serving this client since 2012, but over the years, I transitioned from a one-to-one -one model to a one-to-many. And the motivation for me, but a lot of people think uh, that, you know, one-to-many, you make way more money. It's like you can, but it is so much more work and the profit margins are so much lower. So this is just, I, I always just like to reemphasize why I'm such a fan of one-on-one -on -one services. But for me, this business is a vehicle for my own growth and development. I don't know where life is going to take me, but I've got lots of working years left in me. And I look at this business as giving me these opportunities to grow and stretch myself as a person. And one-to-one, -one, I had maxed out. Sure, I could get a little bit better as coaching, but I kind of developed myself 
as much as I needed to be developed doing that that way. And it was time for me to try and sort of transition to a different way. So over the course of two years, I transitioned from one-on-one to exclusively offering groups. Now I run a, I have a pretty big business. I have two full-time employees, one part-time contractor and a whole bunch of smaller contractors. And then I have got an entire coaching team of about 20 coaches that work for me in my make it work online program. And that's where we help women start and grow their online service-based businesses. So they know what they want to do, but they're not consistently getting clients online. They want to build, you know, a high five figure, six figure business, earn income in their, for their families doing one-on-one services. And that's what we help them do. And I do that in a one-to-many and we've got a mastermind follow on and we do a lot of affiliate, not a lot, a handful of affiliate promotions, but it's an entirely different model because what I'm growing myself in right now is leading and growing teams, uh, like rising myself up to a much higher level thinking about strategy and having working with these incredible people to do execution. And I got to tell you, it is just so fun. Like this is what lights me up right now is how this business allows me to grow. And what's crazy is that it allows me to grow in a way that then benefits not only people who work for me, but all of the clients that we serve. And so to see that ripple effect and then our, our clients benefit by getting the workout that they do to more people and then they benefit those people and they're like, you know, that's, that's where it starts to get fun. <laughs> yeah. And now you have baby coming. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> I didn't, didn't have a chance to say congratulations before. Thank you. <laughs> now you've structured the business in a way that you actually can step away. Crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's Yeah. So my plan is to take a five-month maternity leave from April through August. And when I was on the other side of being really sick was when, so my husband and I obviously didn't try while I was really sick. So there was a very long break there in the middle. And when I started to get better, we're like, well, who knows if this will happen or not because I have been so sick. Well, let's just see what we can do. And I started to think like, what would a maternity leave look like? That's been a non-negotiable for me since, since we started again. That was a four month minimum non-negotiable maternity leave was on my radar. And at the beginning in 2016, that looked like me saving up a lot of money to pay myself for those four months without any clients coming in, without any money coming in and to pay my assistant to sort of keep the ship running. And over the years, as we haven't gotten pregnant, then those plans have changed. So, okay, now my business is this big. Actually, I need to save more money because now I have more team members and I want them to stay on and I don't want them to leave, but I still want to take a maternity leave. And now, I mean, he is just going to come at the perfect time. Our team has gotten to the point where they can run the business for five months without me. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things they can't do because I am the face of the business. So it's not like we can we can put my copywriter on video and all of a sudden she can pretend to be Jenny. Like it doesn't it doesn't work like that. But I mean, his timing is uncanny. It is just I mean, it has just been this like almost this unbelievable little miracle. So my team is going to fly out to where I am in Oregon, and we're going to meet for several days and plan what exactly is going to happen on the five months that I'm gone. And you know, technology these days, it's not like my phone is that far away. <laughs> it's not like I'm disappearing. But this ship is going to keep running and they're going to keep going. And then I'm going to come back and we know exactly what we'll be doing the following year. So it's been fun to think about business in this way. Like this is what I've been working towards without even kind of realizing this is where I was headed. And this is about, you know, we were saying earlier about following the thing that lights you up and gets you really excited. And me just sort of following this thread of what would be exciting for me next has led me to this place where it's kind of all come together in this really beautiful way. Well, you're obviously very excited because I was going to ask you, how do you feel? But you feel very excited. Uh, 
I can see it on video, you know, your, uh, you know, your eyes light up. It's like, wow, this, this beautiful business is, is kind of ready for exactly this moment. So universe provides. Yeah, it does. I, I just feel incredible. I'm kind of blown away and I try not to think about it too much, but to think about the team that I have and the, the folks who've come to work for me and the work we do together and how we work together and our, like, I hate to call it a company culture because we're such a small company, but I guess you could call it, I mean, it is still our company culture, the way we operate and the way we work together and the collaboration and the positivity. And it's not this, you know, fake platitudes. It's like genuinely caring about one another and doing good work, but also making sure that, that everybody has time for the rest of their lives and how we, like, how did this happen? Like, how did we get here? And, and I know what I've done deliberately, but it almost, it almost feels like magic and it's such a joy and, and such a pleasure. And there's so much growth for me here, but there's also so much delight. And, and that's when business is fun. It's like, right, this is why I left corporate. Like this is way harder. It's way more stressful. There's so much more risk and I love it. Oh my gosh, I would never trade it for the world. Well, that is a beautiful ending to a fantastic episode. How do people find you online, Jenny? Uh, the best place to find me is jennyshi.com, J-E-N-N-Y-S-H-I-H. Um, and you can check out my growing uh, muscle on Instagram. I'm she Jenny on Instagram. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff, but I'm trying to like uh, get my Instagram game up right now. So <laughs> We love Instagram. So please tag Jenny and me and tell us uh, what you got out of this episode. Jenny, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And I, I hope this story inspires and helps every single one of your listeners. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Early bird tickets for the Selfmade Summit are now available. Super early bird tickets sold out in 48 hours. Grab your ticket now by going to the show notes at sigma.com forward slash 354, where you can find out more about the Selfmade Summit. Grab your early bird ticket. And of course, you will find there all the links to Jenny Shi. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? Let me know that you listened by tagging me in your Insta story or Instagram post. My handle is sigruncom and please use the hashtag Sigrun Show. See you in the next episode.